Okay, the meeting will now come to order. 19-287, Committee of the Whole Meeting Notice, Wednesday, May 6, 2020 at 6 p.m. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12, 2020 order suspending certain provisions of the Open Meeting Law, General Law, Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15, 2020 order imposing strict limitation on the number of people that may gather in one place. This meeting of the Medford City Council will be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information in the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with the right and or requirement to attend the meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at www.medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so accessing the meeting link uh, contained herein. No in-person attendance or, uh, of members or the public will be permitted, but every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access the proceedings in real time via technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media website an audio or video recording transcript or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. There will be a meeting in the Medford City Council Committee of the Hall on Wednesday, May 6, 2020 at 6 p.m. Via, 6 p.m. via Zoom. The purpose of the meeting will be to interview uh, the con zoning consultant candidates that submitted proposals for the zoning RFQ 20-0133. Uh, at 6 p.m., we will be meeting Community Opportunity Group, and at 7 p.m., Utile Design. The City Council has invited Chief Procurement Officer Shab Khan, acting, Shab Khan, acting City Solicitor Kimberly Scanlon, and representatives from the Community Opportunity Group in Utile Design to attend the meeting. Uh, for further information, aids, and accommodations, contact the City Clerk at 781-393-2425. Sincerely yours, John C. Falco, Jr., President. I'd like to begin by uh, welcoming everyone to the meeting. Um, our uh, uh, acting uh, city solicitor, Kim Scanlon, will be joining us, I believe, at some point. Uh, I believe she's going to be a little bit late. Uh, we have Alicia Hunt uh, joining with us, uh, joining us tonight as well. Um, I, uh, I invited her uh, uh, earlier today, so I apologize for the late invite, but I'm glad you could join us tonight. And uh, so we have um, with us tonight, if, if I'm correct, uh, Courtney Starling and Wayne Dara who's the president of the Community Opportunity Group. And uh, we welcome you to the meeting and we thank you for your interest. Uh, Clerk Curtis has his hand raised. I need, to, I need to call the roll. Yes, please call the roll. I'm still getting used to that on the Zoom meeting. That's Clerk quite all right. We're all getting used to Zoom meetings. Uh, please uh, call the roll. Councilor Bears. Present. Vice President Carabiello. Present. Councilor Knight. Present. Councilor Marks. Present. Councilor Morell. Present. Councilor Scarpelli. Present. President Falco. Present. Uh, all seven members are present. Uh, present. Um, so I want to thank, uh, thank you tonight for your interest in, the, um, in the, uh, responding to the RFQ. And uh, I uh, thank you for being here tonight. So I figured uh, what we might do is uh, if you want to start off maybe uh, telling, uh, telling us about a um, little bit about yourselves and uh, just uh, going through the uh, document that um, you would uh, go, going through, uh, maybe go through your responses to uh, the RFQ. And then at that point, um, we can have the counselors weigh in with uh, any type of um, questions that they may have. Oh. 
It'd be better if I unmute you. Sorry about that. that way. There you go. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you all for, for inviting us to uh, meet with you tonight and, and tell you a little bit about Community Opportunities Group and um, our interest in um, helping Medford with its um, zoning work. Um, Community Opportunities Group has been around for more than 40 years. We were founded in 1979. We are a planning and economic development consulting firm. Um, we uh, have two lines of business. One is related to the Community Development Block Grant Program, where we work with communities to prepare grant applications, um, access those funds, and then manage the programs for them. The other part of our work is your traditional planning work, master plans, housing studies, fiscal impact analysis, and zoning work. Um, here with me tonight is Courtney Starling. Courtney's my senior planner. Um, she's also our zoning guru. Um, she is uh, the person who will be heading up this project. I will be the principal in charge, um, but Courtney will be the project manager and the point person for this um, opportunity should you decide to select Community Opportunities Group. Um, at this point, I'd like to turn it over to Courtney and um, have her talk a little bit about the approach that we want to take um, in assisting you in this effort. Thank you. Okay. I have a quick question up front, which is if I could be allowed to share my screen so I can show you a little bit of a presentation that goes on with the, uh, you know, that goes with the proposal so that you're not just staring at me, but you have something to look at. Um, could that be enabled? Right now I have, it says that the host has disabled screen sharing. Uh, here we go. Get it? Okay. All righty. Away we mo, guys. You're getting good at this, Claude Hargabies. <laughs> okay, thank you guys. Um, as Wayne said, my name is Courtney Starling. Um, I'm going to try to keep it to 45 minutes tonight. I know you guys uh, have given us about an hour, but I also respect that you're talking to UTL after us and probably would like a bathroom break and some snacks. So we'll try to uh, stay on task for you tonight and move through um, and get through all of your questions as quickly as possible. Um, as Wayne said, uh, Community Opportunities Group uh, is a community development and planning firm. We have a 40-year track record. I've been with the firm for seven years now, uh, heading into eight. I've been practicing for almost 15 years, so we've been at this for a little while. Um, as Wayne said, we do um, have a couple different lines of business. Uh, this enables us to be in city halls and town halls throughout Massachusetts and Connecticut. Um, throughout the year. So we have a lot of on the ground experience with an administration as well as with um, actual, you know, strategic planning. And so we're kind of a good mix between theory and practice as far as planning goes. Um, as far as uh, this project and how we've chosen to staff it, we tend to run a fairly lean and efficient uh, ship. We don't really like our clients to have to call us 15 times trying to find us and waiting through interns. I don't actually have an intern. Um, the people who will be doing the work on this project is actually myself. Um, like I said, I have 15 years of experience. I've worked inside uh, City Hall, inside sit, uh, Town Hall, and I've also been on the other side of the table as the consultant trying to thread the needle between constituent groups um, and get, you know, get pieces of legislation moving. Uh, at COG, we are a boutique firm. Uh, we focus on relationships with clients. We are not a um, you know puppy mill of firms. We don't have 400 clients that we can't handle. If you were to hire us, you would be my primary client, and the 
would be very much about building a relationship between us and the city council so that whenever you need technical assistance, it's just as simple for you to pick up a phone and have access to, to um, professionals who can help you out. That's the whole point of having us. Um, we are pragmatic. I don't do planning for, you know, I'm not necessarily, um, you know, a touchy-feely planner. I'm really pragmatic about how it is that we go about our business. A lot of what I do is sit down with uh, city staff, with uh, city officials, figure out what it is that you're doing, how you do it, what your capacity is, what your capabilities are moving forward, so that we can scale any sort of further efforts moving forward to your actual capacity. We're not here to write you a plan for a city that, you know, has a staff of 76 people to implement this. We're here to work with Medford and write a plan for Medford. We're also responsive. Like I said, if you're heading into a meeting and you've got an item agenda on there that you have a question about and you're like, Courtney, you know, I think this might relate to zoning. I have a question about it. You can pick up the phone and you can call me and you can actually get me. Access is part of what we do here. Um, and so as we're going through the process, not just as, you know, we're dealing with this immediate zoning issue, we're also setting you up for the next phase of the project and for you to continue going. We're not here necessarily to hook you on consultants. We're here to help you build capacity and keep moving forward. Um, so that's a, ba that's a little bit about COG. It's a little bit about how we do business. Um, again, we're very much relationship-based. We're very much, it's, you know, it's very personal. It's very uh, customized to um, our actual clients. And like I said, you, if, uh, you were to award this contract to us, you would be my main focus. Um, it's my understanding that part of why we're here is that the city council has been trying to get something happening with the zoning for a while. Um, there's some immediate needs on the horizon, and then there's some longer term needs in terms of scoping out the project. You know, you have some things going on right now, just like upfront, um, low hanging fruit that, you know, represents some liabilities. There, there's an issue around use variances, for example, in your ordinance where you have one section of your zoning ordinance that says use variances are okay, and then you have a conflicting section that says use variances can't be granted. If, as a, you know, from a practical purpose, that's an easy thing for the city council to clean up right now, adopt and eliminate that legal challenge right out the gate. But then there's some bigger issues that really require further study. You know, you've got a lot of things going on. You know, there's the Mystic Avenue corridor zoning process and the subsequent withdrawal that went on during the last administration. There's a fair amount of development pressure. You've got a couple of 40 B's over out on Mystic Avenue, Fells Way. There's the Green Line extension. There's Medford Square. There's, you know, a lot going on, you know, currently that you know bears you know bears mentioning when you talk about okay let you know let's get ourselves in shape to really you know revamp the zoning and keep things moving forward and so I, I really view it as you're in a position right now that's fairly fortunate you've gone you know there's some administration changes you're ready to drive and you know now's the time to do it and so I think that's kind of it's my understanding that that's kind of where Medfield is at and what we're looking for to get out of this process is a really quick, um, you know, the up, you know, the upfront understanding of what some of the immediate issues are that need to be dealt with again, like use variances, so you can eliminate some of those unnecessary legal liabilities that are hanging out there. And then some of, you know, the more, you know, you have your immediate, short, medium, and long-term issues, and those are kind of the things that we need to identify so that you can figure out a strategy moving forward of how to actually address the zoning. And so whether or not you need an entire, you know, throw it out and rewrite it, um, start over, do a form-based code, make a bunch, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And so a lot of this is about figuring out what's the most appropriate approach for Medford. You don't necessarily need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's really more about understanding what 
you know, what Medford's residents, what your business owners, what, you know, your stakeholders appreciate about the city and figuring out how to preserve those things, look for your opportunity areas and how to develop opportunities that are in scale with Medford. Nobody here at least is, you know, from my perspective, Medford is its own place. You can hire a lot of different consultants who do zoning who will try, you know, who, you know, I'm not here to make you Somerville. I'm here to keep you Medford and to help you move forward. That's really what my approach is. A lot of what I do is really getting into understanding what it is that people value and figuring out how it is that we can work with that and move forward. Uh, so with this project, we propose um, a fairly short schedule. It's May, um, you know, that's where we are. Uh, so we're proposing that if awarded, we would probably get off um, in fairly short order with a council kickoff. Usually we do a working group formation when we're working with the council. It's typically the council subcommittee that works on zoning and planning. Um, sometimes we add additional people such as uh, staff, whether there's a um, building commissioner, zoning enforcement officer, or um, community development director, um, Alicia Hunt, for example, um, who might want to be involved on a you know, somewhat uh, more intensive uh, level uh, just for project oversight. Um, and then really in the beginning is a lot of uh, figuring out what the bright line goals are. You know, generally speaking, you read it, you can open a lot of plans and they all generally have the same kind of goals because most people want to live in a nice place. What this really comes down to is defining what makes Medford a nice place and what nice means to Medford and what the goals are to keep that happening. And to figure out what you want to, you know, there's certain fiscal goals that have to come into it. There's only so much land that goes around. Um, and so when we're looking at, you know, when we're looking at areas, um, you know, outside of Wellington, where you've got some big box and tucked behind that, you've got, you know, single floor, you know, single story warehousing that area, you know, that area of town, while it might, you know, while it might not be the newest and most exciting is also an economic generator. And so what if there are goals around preserving those types of jobs, you need to have the zoning that protects those industrial areas. That's just an example, but that's the sort of thing that you really want to have some analysis of. As we start moving forward and getting a good idea of what it is going on um, and get our bright line goals that the entire project is, you know, is going to support, we start moving into the stakeholder interviews. Um, and focus groups. Uh, typically the stakeholder interviews we conduct are with people who have a professional work and knowledge of what's going on. It's a little bit different than um, standard resident feedback. We tend to do that in a slightly different way, but with stakeholders we tend to talk with um, city staff, local developers, real estate agents, lawyers who do permitting, ZBA members, planning board, basically everybody who's currently involved with, um, with um, development from concept to completion. Uh, from there, we move into starting to put together the diagnostic, understanding what the formative issues are going to be. We do the parcel level analysis in most uh, cities and towns where I work, the zoning dimensional requirements tend to be a bit of an issue. So we'd like to do a lot of measuring to make, you know, particularly neighborhoods that people like and want to preserve, you know, whether we're, you know, whether we're up in, yeah, it really depends. You know, there's Medford Square has its own character. West Medford has its own character. There's, you know, the neighborhoods in Medford do have its own character. And part of being able to preserve that character is to understand, like, what dimensional requirements go into it, what design standards are part of that, you know, part of 
that area that, you know, feed into the architectural character, the economic vitality of it, and the total, you know, the overall look and feel. And so we really want to get a good idea on a parcel level, measuring what exactly is going on so that we understand what the conditions are so that you can actually turn those into regulations. A lot of zoning is kind of like, um, it's kind of a like a foreign language that you can you know you can tell people about like a 15 foot side yard setback but as we've learned in social distancing six feet is kind of hard for people to wrap their minds around 15 isn't much better and so you have to kind of boil these concepts up a level where it's just like okay when you look outside your house do you want your neighbors to be a driveway away or would you prefer them to be two driveway widths something like that that's a little bit more you know that that is a metric that people can actually understand. That's a lot of what we spend time turning zoning into. So, you know, not just the nuts and bolts of the regulations and the legalese, but translating that into actual human language that normal people understand. Um, as we finish out that, that phase of the project, I anticipate that we'll head into the actual drafting of the diagnostic. Diagnostics generally feature five parts for me. Um, there's an executive summary for the, and I like to keep that to about a page or two for those who don't like to do a whole lot of reading so that we make sure that they understand the contents of the whole report in a very short period of time. Um, go over, and then we want to establish what the bright line goals were, why we chose them what the existing conditions are that we are trying to address and anticipated future conditions, um, which form the formative issues, which are kind of like our overarching main, you know, use variances. What do we want to do with mixed use? What do we want to do with multifamily? What do we want to do with conversions from single families to duplexes? All of those sorts of things. What do we want to do with it? That's what we're driving at in the diagnostic. Um, and then we get into, after we identify the issues, we talk about recommendations and alternatives. Um, like all regulations, there are several different approaches that you can take. Um, so my typical recommendation is, or my typical approach is that I'm going to give you recommendations based on different scenarios. Um, you know, the scenarios in this case are probably going to be a simple recodification and rewrite where you fix, uh, you know, key sections and just reorganize and clean up the ordinance. The next level would be just to start completely over. And then the level after that is generally to turn into a graphic code. So there's a couple of different state, you know, a couple of different uh, stages that people go through when deciding what they want to do with their future ordinance. We're here to talk about what those might look like, what they might look like in practical terms, like actual regulations, not just um, not just a series of best practices and pretty pictures. There's a lot of folks who will do that for you. But again, that's not really practical. What we really need here are, you know, a solid understanding of what the regulatory process should be for development review, whether somebody goes to the planning board, then to, you know, the zoning board of appeals, then to CONCOM, whatever it is, um, but make sure that the orders are very clear, make sure that it's very clear who reviews what, because there's different types of development proposals that there can be ambiguity as to which board requires review and which board gets that review first. So these process and administrative issues are really, really important. They are just as important as the zoning regulations themselves. And so a lot of what we bring to this is not just the zoning regulations, but the legal understanding of what it means to write a code that is compliant with 40A, chapter 40 of the Mass General Laws, and what is consistent with case law. So this is an issue of not just regulation, but also administration. And so we're very, um, that's what, you know, that's what goes into the diagnostic those are the main issues that we want to be very clear about with the city council going forward so that it, as you guys go into the next phase of this project which would be um 
however it is that you choose to address the ordinance holistically, that you know very much what, you know, that you have a very good understanding of what your options are, what your choices are, what the considerations are, what the trade-offs are, because I, you know, most situations in life, unfortunately, do have trade-offs. And so um, I'm pretty, I'm a straight shooter. And I will tell you, if you do X, Y might happen and Z might happen, you need to pick your poison because sometimes that does kind of go into regulation. And, um, you know, and again, a lot of this is about being able to understand when those issues do come up, you know, what are the trade-offs? How do we find consensus? And how do we move forward? <clears throat> And doing that involves getting other people involved because while I'm a wonderful consultant, um, I can't, you know, this really isn't about what Courtney Starling thinks is the smartest thing for Medford. This is about what Medford thinks is the smartest thing for Medford. Typically in our projects, we offer a variety of ways to get involved so that um, people with a limited amount of time, you know, somebody who has, you know, maybe as little as 30 seconds to interact with the project can interact versus somebody who is a city councilor who is ultimately responsible for adopting zoning. So there's a pretty wide range of people who um, will have access to the project, will have an ability to give input, and for their input to be transparently um, broadcast and you know subscribe, you know, so that other people can actually see it. Because one of the most important things with zoning is because it is confusing to, and it's not the most accessible topic to most people. It is extremely important from the get-go to be transparent about what it is that you are doing, what individual steps are involved, what is happening during those steps, what people can do during those steps, and what the step after that is going to be. And so it's very, very important to run a very clear, very open, and very linear process so that people do not feel like there's something going on that they're, you know, that there's backroom dealing with a developer or that sort of thing, because people do get concerned about that. And, you know, for, pub for the public, it's important not only for them to have access to the information, but for them to actually have a meaningful way to interact with it and to give their opinion and feedback. Um, so as part of this process, again, it's a little different because we're in the era of coronavirus, and so we don't know entirely what it is that we can and cannot do in terms of public meetings. And so at the moment, what I predict is that we will probably do a combination of online and targeted engagement for the immediate term. And after, um, you know, we'll see what happens on May 18th with the governor and we'll kind of see what happens, I think, in June and July as to whether or not we can do anything that's actually public. If not, um, once we get to a point where we have a draft of the diagnostic, I usually like to hold a work, a public workshop and we can talk about different ways to do that remotely. Um, it, again, I prefer to have the option for people to come in person and to participate online, um, but that is a little bit challenging at this moment in time. The interviews and focus groups we propose to conduct on Zoom, um, the working group, like I said, I anticipate it will be a subcommittee of the city council that will be looking kind of day to day, not day to day, but really I'm more on a week to week basis at um, progress drafts, deliverables. Usually when I have an idea, you know, if I'm doing interviews and I um, am getting a lot of feedback on the same topic, I'll probably, I like to float it forward to the working group and say, hey, I'm seeing a pattern. This is happening. You know, I'm hearing this a lot. This is what I think might work. What do you think? It's good to have a, you know, a sounding board. And that's a lot of what the working group is responsible for. Mm -hmm. um, and also reviewing drafts. 
And of course, again, like I said, city councilors, you guys are the top of the heap. You make the decisions. And as you know, zoning is a super majority. And so it is very important through this process that the city councilors are all involved uh, because if this project is to be successful at its end, when you have an actual zoning ordinance in front of you and it is real, it is helpful to have all of you on board from the beginning and part of it. And so we do like to run the process that way so that there's kind of a continual loop of feedback. Uh, because, again, we are in the era of COVID, I want to talk just a little bit for a minute about the um, platform that we use for online engagement. Uh, engagement HQ is used around the world and around the country. There are a bunch of places locally that use it. Uh, my clients in Report have a page, uh, so I do have some experience uh, running this and getting it up and operational. The front-end work is admittedly a bit of... The front end work is about 80 to 100 hours to get the website up and running. So typically I recommend that I do it rather than have the city council do it because it is a bit of an undertaking. But what it allows for us to do is run a whole lot of different types of online engagement, it allows us to operate as a clearinghouse for all project documents, um, give ways for people to contact everybody, um, to let people know when there are meetings occurring, uh, put up the Zoom invites for remote meetings and so on and so forth. For just one second, Let's see if this will work for me. I'm gonna try to oh, I'm gonna try to move show you this on um, somebody else's site. So hang on one second. And I'm just gonna show you an example of an existing uh, version of this website. This is Tigard, Oregon. And they have changed theirs a little bit to deal with COVID, but they have, you can see each project that they're running has a different little tab on it that you can click on. And once you click on that, you find different things. Like right now they're working on a senior housing project, for example. So Courtney, think, I, yeah. I don't think we're seeing what you think we're seeing. Oh, are you not? Oh, it's. We can only see the presentation. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, sorry, I have. It, I just see the yellow sign right now that says that it won't let me share the internet. <laughs> Sorry, guys. What's the name of the town, just in case if we wanted to go out and take a look at it after? It's, it's Tigard, Oregon. I'll send a link to Shab after the after we meet today, okay. and I'll send a couple of the links to different sites that they have so that um, so that you can see that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Can you see my screen now? We can see it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Sometimes it will work with the internet, but today I'm using the Mac and the Mac sometimes will surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> no worries. Okay, back, back to our transparency. In any event, I will send you links to, um, I'll send you the link to Nuber Report site, which is um, admittedly, I, they're not using as much of it as I would like. Um, and I'll send you tie guards. But what's nice about it is that you can, it allows it loops through the city's website, existing website, and what it allows for you to do is post different project pages. And let's say, um, let's say you've got a, um, let's say you got a zoning, you know, a zoning change proposed. Let's say it's going to be um, you want to change like a standard business zone to a mixed use zone, and you want to see what people think about that. You know what? It, you know, do you like uh, first floor commercial with upper story residential? We'll put together maybe we'll put together a little page for it, and we'll say we'll put together like a you know a little um, we can put together a little poll or a little survey and attach it to it. You can run FAQs. You can have people submit ideas like a virtual bulletin board. 
Uh, the good news about this is that Engagement HQ has great security and great monitoring, so we can we can monitor um, anything you know anything that people do choose to post. So we don't have um, one of the things that we're always afraid of with online engagement is um, people using it in untoward ways, shall we say, or people, you know, running um, bullying campaigns, uh, harassing those sorts of things. The security on Engagement HQ, the monitoring and the backend analytics run 24 seven every day of the week, uh, 365 days of the year to make sure that that does not actually happen and that your page does not go haywire. Uh, so it's, it's a cool thing. Um, I will send out the link so that you can go play with somebody else's pages, um, but it does allow, um, particularly in this era when we're not able to do things as we have been and have to uh, look to new ways. It's helpful to have a platform like Engagement HQ that has a lot of different tools on it so that you're not just sending people like 15 surveys in a row because the only capability you have is surveys. People get bored with that. People like to post photos. People like to interact with things. The places function is pretty cool. The tool, like let's say um, we want to ask uh, people in Medford, what's your favorite park? We can have them go to the site, ask the question, and they can put pins on the map and actually and attach to a pin a photo of them enjoying the park. You know, then other people can see it as part of the public. And it becomes these really, it becomes actually, you know, I will admit that I'm, you know, maybe not the most loving of technology, but it, and I might be a little skeptical, but it is actually pretty cool to see the way that people come together and great, create like these virtual collages of ideas that gives really us quite a bit to work with. And so um, we are proposing to use it Engagement HQ. There are a couple competitors. Um, should we execute a contract? This is actually one end of it that I would probably want to spend more time with city council talking about it because I think I would like to demo some of their competitors. Engagement HQ is my favorite, but I'm not married to them. And I think it's also worth some exploration with you guys about what, um, other tools in case there's some other things that you would like to try. Uh, but personally, like I said, I think this one is the best. And so this one is the one that I tend to recommend. Um, and so I thought I would ask you guys a couple of questions before we go into total Q&A. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I know that you're here to um, hear about our proposal. But we all, you know, and since we do have a little bit of time to talk with you, we do want to talk a little bit about you and hear from you in your own words what it is that you're trying to do and not just me, at, you know, saying what I think it is. So, Courtney? Courtney? Yeah. Before we do that, I just want to circle back to a couple of things you brought up during um, your presentation. Um, Courtney mentioned that we are uh, pragmatic planners. I think um, the better description would be uh, brutally pragmatic planners. Uh, we're kind of a, a no BS operation. Um, we don't do glitter cannons. We don't do balloon drops. You know, we're not going to sing Kumbaya. Um, we... Um, we like will, however, solve your problems. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we like to work with interesting communities, and we think Medford is a very interesting community. Um, we are uh, mostly uh, urban-leaning folks at Community Opportunities Group, so we like to work with uh, interesting areas that um, are urban-leaning. Um, the And I think I just, I just want to talk a little bit about the situation we're in right now with COVID. And I don't think it's an unreasonable concern of the council to wonder whether or not a small company is still going to exist in three months and actually be here to fulfill this contract. 
Um, what I'd like to, if you are wondering that, what I'd like to say is um, the majority of the income at Community Opportunities Group is generated by our grant-related work. Um, that funding is there. It's secure. Um, it is not subject to town meeting appropriation or, you know, um, any sort of local funding decisions. Um, it comes straight from the federal government, and um, we feel that we're positioned quite strongly to continue um, through these difficult times uh, because we are buffered from um, the damage that's being done to local um, budgets at this time. So, you know, I just wanted to make that point. Thank Go ahead, you. Courtney. Thank you, Wayne. I'm actually going to turn this over to you guys at the council. And um, I'm curious to hear in your own words what you think the most pressing issues are at the time at this time that are driving this process. Courtney, could you, uh, um, actually, if, if I may ask the clerk, could you unshare your screen? I guess I guess, yeah. I, I guess I'm just trying to see everybody. There we go. That's better. <laughs> that better? I can only see half the council, so I just want to make ah. sure. <laughs> no okay. worries. That's the next slide is the Q and A slide, so you're not missing anything. <laughs> and we can always go back if we need to. So, uh, thank you very much for the presentation. Appreciate it. Um, a lot of good points. We're going to start off with Council and I. Council and I. Uh, first of all, Mr. President, um, that was an excellent. Excellent, excellent presentation. I appreciate it, and I thank you for um, taking the time to put it together. Uh, it's been a long time coming to get us to this road, uh, down the road to get us to where we are today, so thank you. I'm very excited about this. Um, you know, when we're talking about pressing issues in the community and um, concerns that we as individual counselors have, um, a couple of issues that we've been talking about uh, for an extended period of time is Number one, um, I think our long-term ability to continue to generate new growth at a rate of around one and a quarter percent um, to keep up with uh, the historical um, rate of new growth that we've been able to generate in the community. Uh, another issue that is concerning to me is um, the degradation of our CIP parcels. Um, we have our commercial and industrially zoned parcels that are getting uh, rezoned and they're getting rezoned to a residential use. And as we see the number of commercial and industrial parcels go down um, with our bifurcated tax rate, we're not necessarily seeing an equitable distribution for residential property tax relief. Um, so I think that's something that's very important that we have to look at. Um, and the other thing that I think we really haven't spoken much about, but is very important to this community, is putting ourselves in a position where we can generate jobs that provide a living wage to residents in this community. Um, so those are uh, some of the areas that, you know, we've been talking about uh, going back to my first election to the council back in what, 2015. I served as the zoning subcommittee chairman for a period of time. Um, and this has been a discussion that's been going on for the better part of the uh, five or six years now. Um, so those are some of the things that we have discussed in the past. And I hope that that's helpful to you uh, going forward. I think it's refreshing to hear about, to hear a community talk about growth as a good thing. Um, so many clients out there, they're, they don't want growth. They want to use zoning as a tool to 
stop it. So it's very refreshing to hear that um, you see this as a tool to ensure um, a better future for your community. And I, I really appreciate that. I will also note on the issue of CIP parcel preservation in particular, um, working a new report for the last five years, they have an industrial and business park that we have been working to promote. One of the issues that they have is that they're five miles from the border from New Hampshire, which creates a certain competitive issue. And so, um, you know, I personally, I, part of the issue I think is probably that I'm a Detroiter. So I feel very strongly about our industrial and manufacturing jobs and their quality and the life that they bring is ma making sure that we maintain areas for these businesses so that they can exist, not necessarily, you know, not in conflict with residential uses as what we is tends to happen and how we can maximize these parcels, especially with the split uh, tax rate so that we are able to maintain fiscal health, maintain good quality jobs which does relate back to zoning Be, you know it's one thing to put in a bunch of retail it's another and i'm not going to say that all retail jobs are low quality jobs but i am going to say that you know that you're going to be work shooting for jobs that will provide people the ability to have a reasonable life and live in medford this isn't you know this is Exactly. It, it takes a certain amount of money and it takes protection of those parcels because otherwise they get gobbled up by 40b Exactly. I mean, we ultimately want the people that work in Medford to have the opportunity to live in Medford and be able to afford to live in Medford so that they can spend the discretionary income in the circular flow of our local economy. I mean, it, it's, you know. Hallelujah. Uh, Thank you for getting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's great. Now, your firm has been working with the Newburyport revitalization? I have been working in the city of Newburyport since 2014. I worked on their master plan and we've been doing a zoning recodification that unfortunately has been taking quite some time. There's uh, some staff limitations. There's been a lot of political change and it just, you know, a whole zoning recodification takes a fair amount of time. It, you know, it can be that way. They've got serious historic preservation issues that um, are not necessarily best regulated under zoning. So we've been doing a lot of historic preservation 40C type work to go with it. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it, <laughs> we have been involved up there in a while, for a while. We work in Everett. Um, right now I'm working on redeveloping the Pope John site. So we've, we've got some experience uh, peppered around with, uh, especially with the industrial work. Excellent. I mean, Mr. President, I don't know if, I don't know if anybody's been up to Newburyport in recent time, but um, it's booming. It's amazing up there. It's one of, um, you know, the fastest growing communities in the North Shore. Um, so uh, with that being said, I rest my case and I'd like to hear what my other council colleagues have to say. But uh, again, thank you very much. I was very impressed with the presentation. Thank, thank you. you. Council Knight. Uh, council, Vice President, Cap oh, actually, Council Morrell. Thank you, Mr. President. Yes, yeah, speaking to kind of what we're uh, focused on as a council as a whole or concerns, um, I know the issue of sustainability so sustainability as it impacts, as Councillor Knight just spoke about, just quality of life and affordability, the environment and our city's finances. Um, I think protection and creation of open space is an issue in the city. Um, we definitely support growth um, and understand the numbers needed to support our city. Um, but how do we do that in a balanced way where we're not snatching up every parcel of land um, for a you know, X number of story buildings. Um, and, and also thinking about the impact on, of design 
um, and, and layout as it relates to both traffic and transportation, public transportation in the area. Um, and then also to Councilor Knight's point, just going back to that commercial space, what are, um, what we're doing in the rest of the city to make it desirable for um, a company to come here. So those are those are the issues I'm I, I, I focused on most. I'm glad that you raised the issue of sustainability in particular, um, you know, especially when you look at where it is that you're seeing some of your larger development proposals coming in. They're in environmentally sensitive areas where you're, mm -hmm. you know, edging right up next to floodplain. And, you know, and that has some real practical policy considerations moving forward as to, you know, is this land actually best used for that purpose? Is this better for, you know, should we use this land as um, open space and flood protection? It's one of, you know, the thing about zoning is as you're carving it up and looking at, you know, looking at the city and how each little piece needs to do its part, more or less. The issue of sustainability is one that I think tends to get lost in the conversation because it's not as, you know, income generating. It's not, you know, de depends on how you look at that. If you put residential next to it, it usually does pretty well. But it's compete, you know, it's balancing out the, what the all of these needs because the people are not the only thing that need things. The land needs things too. And in order for, you know, the issue of traffic, you know, in order to get the cars to move as they should, in order to get the people to move as they should, Medford doesn't necessarily need more cars in it. It needs, you know, multimodal options. The green line extension is a piece of that, but there's also bus line issues. You know, when you're waiting, you know, when you have a bus to Davis square that only comes once an hour, you're probably going to be doing some more walking. And so how do we, you know, how do we, make that work how do we plan for you know bike share and scooter drops and how do we put that in the zoning so that these you know multimodal that these sustainability issues that these kind of high level policy issues actually make it onto the ground in regulation mm -hmm. absolutely great yeah those are um i see to my other counselors thank you councilor marks uh thank you mr president and uh, i just want to let you know ahead of time i'm going to need to sign off very soon from this meeting. Um, I have another commitment. Um, okay. Thank you. But um, I, I do have a couple of questions. Um, as a council, we have some immediate needs. Um, and I think you mentioned them a couple uh, of them in your presentation, one being uh, Method Square. Uh, we've gone through, I think, three iterations of the revitalization of Method Square for close to 15 years now. Lots uh, of plans. Lots, Lots of plans. No action, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so that, that's one. Uh, the second one is uh, the redevelopment of Mystic Ave, which is considered the gateway to the city of Method. Um, and uh, we're starting to see 40B projects, as you alluded to. Um, and uh, we want to get ahead of the curve. Um, and uh, the other issue, I, I guess, is um, how do we approach, because we have so many needs, and uh, our zoning hasn't been looked at in over three decades. We've done some piecemeal things. Um, I, I really think in order to uh, incorporate all the things that we're talking about, livability and so forth, and um, I, I think we need, need to take a, a phased approach when we look at zoning and some of the immediate needs. And I didn't know if that's something that uh, you agree with. Um, and I'd like to hear a little more about that if I could. 
So I typically agree with the phased approach uh, first and foremost because it's the least jarring for the residents and that's an important thing to maintain. A calm and steady ship is important. Um, the thing and the other issue about doing things in phases is because it is a very real thing that there are immediate things that need to happen, there are short-term things that need to happen, and then we get into medium and long-term goal type things. Uh, I think personally, I am, you know, personally, <clears throat> even in reviewing your ordinance, you know, just for this meeting, even in reviewing documents on the city's website, looking at um, some, for, you know, footage from former meetings and things like that, there are a few things that I can identify out the gate that are things that the council needs in front of them next week. I think we can all agree with that, where there are, you know, there are some legal liabilities mm -hmm. hanging out there. I think what is, you know, with this project, just with phase one of, you know, getting our arms around what is going on with the zoning, how many issues do we have, which ones are competing, and how we find consensus around them. I think that the point of phase, this phase altogether is to get organized. And so in, in, doing, in getting organized so that we can comprehensively address the next step, um, it does come in these smaller phases. I think that um, where there is some language for regulation that needs to be in front of the council, you know, in a very, very near term, I think we figure that out probably within the first two to three weeks when I talk to city staff, when I talk to counselors, when I talk to the building commissioner, and when I actually then start doing a little bit more of the um, outward um, stakeholder engagement. Usually I find out what the story is pretty quick and convene the working group as fast as possible and tell them what I think, what I see up front and um, put out the immediate fire so that we can then act, you know, put things at a calmer pace and move forward and do the rest of the diagnostic. Okay, and, and just one, one question. Um, when you laid out the working group and then the council, uh, typically, when you state a working group, are you looking at just members of the community like Chamber of Commerce and other? Uh, okay. Typically, what's most common when my client is a council is that I get a subcommittee from the council. Usually, they have a planning and zoning subcommittee or a development subcommittee, some type of subcommittee that already exists, and I just get thrown into that. Okay. And so, okay. it would be my expectation that I would work with a subcommittee of the city council um, on a more right that's typically involved in zoning issues on a semi-regular basis and that we would probably loop in uh, staff from OCD. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can only speak for myself naturally, but uh, I, I think uh, it should be a committee of the whole uh, in which is, you know, the entire council. Uh, I, I think this is far too important, even though we do have a dedicated subcommittee, uh, which is comprised of three out of the seven members. I think this is far too large of an issue and far too important of an issue that I think the working committee should be uh, what we refer to as a committee of the whole meeting with other parties. You're right, other department heads and, and so forth. Um, so I just want to put my two cents in for that um, and uh, want to make sure that that's, uh, I, I think, a direction that we want to go in. Oh, I personally have no problem working with the council as a whole. It was my assumption that you uh, wouldn't give me that, <laughs> to be honest with you, because of the amount of council business that is typically before you. I, I um, wasn't sure whether or not I could get that time commitment. But if the entire, if the if I could get the whole council, that would that frankly is much better. I, I would prefer that. I can't speak for my other colleagues, but I would prefer to be a committee of the whole. And I appreciate the presentation. Uh, and I look forward, uh, hopefully, if you're selected, to work with you as well. So I appreciate that. Thank you for your time thank tonight. You. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Marks. And if I may, uh, I, I 
would like to state, I would agree with you 100% on that with regard to involvement from the entire city council. I know everyone is uh, um, really uh, wants to be involved in this process. This came up in a previous committee, the whole as well, in that the whole entire city council really wants to be involved in this. It's uh, a major project. Uh, it's something we talked about for a long time. So I know something, I know everyone is very, very interested in working uh, with whoever is selected. So um, so I would agree with you, Councilor Marks, uh, wholeheartedly. So thank you. Next up would be Councilor Beers. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, and thank you, Courtney, uh, for the presentation and Wayne. Um, and also thank you to my fellow counselors. We're losing Councilor Marks, but I was about to say that I agree with a lot of what he said. Um, for me, outside of the process, making sure we have clear attainable outcomes from phase one that make sure that we do phase two, because I think that's my fear here. We've cited it with the plans. We've cited it, you know, even with what's going on in Newburyport and change slowing things down is really making sure we can follow through is important. Um, for me, you know, the big issue for me is that we're, we're in a housing crisis and an affordable housing crisis. Um, and I think a lot of people in the community feel that development's been working for developers and not for what the community needs. Um, you know, you put up a giant luxury condo next to a working class neighborhood and you, you don't have to ask a lot of questions about what happens next. Um, so that, that's been a big um, issue for a lot of people that I talk to and a big issue for me. Um, I'm a younger person and it's hard to, for a lot of young people to stay in, in the city um, after they graduate high school or college. Um, and, and for everybody, seniors across the board, it's difficult to stay here um, and especially to stay and raise a family. So um, that, that's kind of my top, top issue and something. Um, how can we do growth in a way that helps the people who want to stay here stay here? The majority of my practice is related to affordable housing. And so in my spare time, I also manage a few affordable housing trusts and I do a lot of proactive planning for um, what we generally refer to as alternatives for 40B. Uh, one of the things about 40B, while we are great advocates of affordable housing, we do find that the rents um, on, a for, on 40B apartments do tend to still be rather high and are not necessarily meeting all of the local needs. One of the good things about Community Opportunities Group is because since we also do grant administration, we also deal with uh, more deeply affordable housing than just the standard 40B model of 80% AMI and you know, God help you for the rest of you. So a lot of what we do is work on creative solutions and where I come into the housing practice especially is because I write zoning. And so the right the zoning that I write is targeted to incentivize the type of residential development that communities sincerely are looking for because most of what we're getting are kind of these monocrop of apartment complexes that are, you know, five, six buildings. They're all five, six stories tall. They have a couple of balconies and a disappearing they have no character. Sorry. I don't, you know, I don't want to don't mean to be the turkey to say it, but they're not necessarily fitting into the neighborhoods. They're not necessarily meeting actual local housing needs and they're not necessarily you know they're not necessarily doing they're not necessarily delivering what they're promising and so a lot of the a lot of what I do um, particularly because housing is so content it is a contentious issue you know it's people's biggest investment that they're going to make in their life it is their retirement nest egg it is psychological it you know what happens next door to their house feels very deeply personal and a lot of what we do is getting right down to the bottom of 
what is acceptable, what, you know, what isn't, you know, so there's a bright, there is, you know, there is a line that cannot be crossed periodically. I always use piggeries as the example, because it's one of the reasons we have zoning to begin with, you know, when people are just like, hey, it's my land, I can do what I want. And then it's just like, but do you want to live next door to a piggery? Some people do, but most people don't, because pigs do not smell that good. So that, you know, it's a bit of an issue. And so it really becomes a balance. Like in Medford, there's a bit of a tension while you are trying to, you know, while you're trying to increase density in certain areas, you also have single family districts where you're seeing teardowns and two family duplexes being put up that don't quite fit in. And so when you have those issues where it's just like, hey, you know, it's not the worst thing that's happening. How do we make it better? How do we make these housing opportunities exist naturally? and then unnaturally unassisted, you know? And so um, we really work both sides of that spectrum and I don't tend to run my show from a developer focused um, perspective. I'm cognizant, you know, I work with them. I, you know, I can run a pro forma. I know what it takes to develop, you know, I know what it takes to finance. I know what a parking space costs. I know what it takes to build. I know the permits, like I know the MEPA reviews have done it, you know, been there and done it. But a lot of what I'm really doing is focusing on, you know, I'm an urban planner. I plan healthy communities that work. And so developers are a piece of the community. They are a part of a community, but they are not the driver necessarily. That's my perspective that, you know, every planner has a different philosophy and, um, you know, mine can be abrasive to some, but that's kind of how I see it. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Bears. Councilor Scarpelli, did you have a question? Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, first of all, I wanna, um, Echo my, my colleague's sentiments. I think uh, that was a very, very um, well put together presentation, uh, Ms. Starling. I think that uh, you you hit a lot of very key points, and I think that you know, um, as we look at our identity, you made a statement that which which helped me define what what I uh, I appreciate what you said was the that we're not summerable. We want to keep our identity in Medford, and. Um, and my other piece is, as everybody's touched upon so many different ones, is that losing our identity um, is is so key in understanding the little the 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 little nuances and little ordinances that we have to tweak. I know right now it's the big development, it's a big issue, but we're seeing a little um, you know little neighborhood concerns that are being being put through monumental um, process to get through. So. Um, I'm going to be interested to see if we can, if we end up working together and try to see how we can really keep that, that family um, community aspect, which made Medford so great, but at the same time, mix that, you know, that uh, the development that we need to uh, the smart growth and development that we keep preaching. So um, again, thank you. I think that, um, that, that was a great job and uh, appreciate Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Scarpelli. Uh, Vice President Carviello, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, I guess we saved the best for last. Yes. <laughs> um, Mr. President, you know, being, uh, being a little older than uh, most of my other councilors here, um, I see this uh, problem similar to what we went through in, in the 1980s, uh, when uh, all of a sudden we went from uh, a bedroom community into a uh, community of condominiums or during that. Uh, giant condominium growth, and um, and we lost some identity there. Uh, and I see uh, a similar situation happening now. We kind of uh, laid dormant for a while, and uh, in probably the last five years, uh, somebody has discovered the city of Medford, 
and we've we've been on fire. So that I think that's really uh, the, one of the, the biggest op obstacles we faced. Um, you know, my issues are, you know, we don't have a lot of um, space for growth and uh, and things. I mean, we've got you know the the Riverside Avenue, Wellington, Glenwood area is uh, it's got room for development there, and we've got Mystic Avenue in, and the square needs updating. But uh, the rest of the community, um, like you said, has been getting inundated with the the one, you know, the the small condos and the you know, the two families and those types there. Uh, so, which we're trying to maintain our, our quality of life in the small city field, and, and it, it's going to be a very hard, you know, to get that balance, um, you know, uh, to come about. And I don't know how we're going to do it. Um, like I say, you know, we're, we're kind of in a difficult time right now uh, because uh, with with this COVID crisis. Um, uh, we're fa we're facing some uh, major budget shortfalls, and we're we're going to have to look down the line for some econ economic development to uh to stir up the tax rate and um and and move and move forward. So I you know uh, I welcome any suggestions you can give us uh, into that. And I say and I and I appreciate you did uh, you did an outstanding presentation, and um, again I look forward to working with you. Um, Going forward, but again, uh, keeping the balance in the community is, is real tough. Like uh, like Councilor Bear says, you know, he's a young guy and uh, he's not going to he's not going to afford to be able to live in this community. I got I got kids. They you know you know years ago when you know, my parents grew up here, you know, I was fortunate enough to buy a house here. Councilor Falco <laughs> bought a house here. Councilor Scott Pelly, we are, you know we live we, we grew up in this community and we bought houses here. Our kids aren't going to be able to do that uh, anymore. So you know so you know. We have to find a balance so so people that grew up in this community can stay in the community. So uh, I'll leave it at that. And again, I thank you for your outstanding uh, presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Vice President Carviello. Um, and if, if I may conclude saying uh, just that I agree with all my fellow counselors, they brought up a, a lot of very good points. Uh, I know Council Vice President Carviello hit home, I think, in that last one. I mean, I have three. Uh, sons of my own and I always think of well where will they live someday and I look at our city and it's it's really hard to find affordable housing for you know it, it's just it's it's a major issue it, among many other issues that we have um, you know in your presentation you mentioned about antiquated zoning uh, you know there's plenty of that um, so, so we, we need to work on plenty of things um, one question I wanted to ask you uh, is with regard to, um, uh, you know, if you're selected, will you need a dedicated community development person to work with you or is this, can you do this pretty much on your own? Uh, typically I do like to have one partner inside City Hall because it's helpful to be able to schedule things and to keep project oversight. So typically I work with the, if it's going to be zoning, I work with the planning and community development uh, department as, um, for them to help with project management. It also helps with the flow of documents, particularly when we have drafts going around. Um, because I'm not a city employee, I, um, and for the purpose of public records, I like for things to have a conduit between me and an elected body through the city, just because it's safer and cleaner for everybody, more transparent. 
And so tip, but the role of city staff um, is somewhat at your discretion. Like I said, it is, um, I do typically work with the planning department so that everybody's on the same page and that the initiatives that are coming out of there are going to be consistent with the project that we're working on and is going to be consistent with what the council is working on because nothing is worse in my situation as a consultant than to put together a plan and to have somebody come in after the fact and say, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> so I do like the left hand to know what the right hand is doing, but um, without knowing um, all of the individual players at this point in time, I would kind of say that typically I do have somebody inside, whether they're in planning, whether it's in the mayor's office, it kind of floats around based on the client and how their individual city is structured. So that's um, something that would be determined um, kind of post-contract, similar to um, working group composition, whether or not you would want to invite anybody outside of the city council, it would be something that we can work together on um, should you choose to select us. Okay. I'm Thank pretty flexible. <laughs> as long as somebody's excited, I'm happy to have them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Vice President Caviello was waving his hands a minute ago. Is everything all right? I know, Courtney, uh, I have one question for you. In the beginning, you mentioned about uh, setting up of your website. Mm -hmm. um, did you say that was going to take 80 to 100 hours to set that up? Uh, the front end to put all of the content together typically does take a fair amount of time. There's a bit of web programming involved, so I don't like to dump that on city staff. Uh, because there's there's a learning curve and so typically what I like to do is get the website up and running for you guys and then have you feed me the content. Is, is, is that going to eat up a lot of uh, our time uh, or, or uh, funding? This that? isn't an hourly contract. This is a task-based contract. So whatever time it takes for me to do what you need done is what you've paid for. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. But I, 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 I'm sorry. That's not a fancy answer. But no, no. I just, uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't. I, I just wanted. To, I didn't. I just want. I didn't know if I misunderstood you when you said that. No, it. It. I. I will admit it's a bit of work to get it up and running, which is why I. I typically prefer to do that because it's. Um, it's a lot to dump on somebody else. I. Thank I fully you. respect okay. that. Thank you. Well, I'd like to say thank you uh, very much for your presentation. It was. Uh, you did a great job. Um, you know, I. I what is that? actually seeing presentations about this stuff. It's very exciting to see that we're hopefully going to move forward on, on something like this. So uh, Ms. Starling and Mr. Darar, I'd like to say thank you very much for your time. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we will uh, be in touch soon. Thank you so much for this opportunity to interview. I tried to get you out at 6.45 to go to the bathroom. I am sorry, you guys. <laughs> Run fast. Have a great yeah. night. Enjoy you, Teal. There are next door neighbors downstairs at our office. So have a blast. And uh, I hope to see you guys soon. That's good. Thank you very much. Have Bye a good now. Day. Nice to Thank see you. Thank you. Mr. President, I, Mr. President, I have the uh, I have the uh, the other uh, presenters in the waiting room, so I'm going to admit them all. Okay. Is everyone ready? Do it. Okay, we, Adam, we all set? We're all set on this end. Uh, I just admitted a bunch of folks, so I think, I think we're good on this end. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Uh, well, good evening, and uh, thank you for uh, attending the meeting tonight. We thank you for uh, your interest in the city of Medford and uh, for responding to the RFQ. Uh, my name is John Falco. I'm the city council president, and uh, we'd like to um, – so if I may, uh, we have – uh, Matthew Little, if I'm saying that right, 
uh, Jessica Robertson, Maggie Sang, Mark Obrowski, and Emily Torres Cullinane uh, here from uh, Utah. And uh, if someone uh, could maybe uh, give us, uh, uh, if you could maybe uh, just talk about your response, uh, talk and just kind of uh, basically tell us what you what you'd like to do, and uh, and after that we can uh, number the uh, counselors will probably have numerous questions to ask you, uh, and then we can go from there. So I'm not sure if someone wants to um, start off on uh, on your team. Yeah, so uh, this is Matthew Latalma, principal at UTL. First of all, um, thank you for inviting us thank to the you. interview. Um, we have a, a presentation uh, where we can share some slides that address a little bit maybe more fully some of our, um, uh, uh, some of the things that were in our response and some of our additional thoughts about, um, about your process, if that makes sense. Sounds good. Okay. Um, Maggie is going to present. Um, yeah, um, I would like to share my screen if I am <laughs> able to. Um, I don't know if right now it says the host has disabled sharing. Should be all set now. Should be all set now. Should okay. be all set now. Great, thank you. Thank you. Can everyone see? Um, yeah. It should be an opening slide that says City of Medford Zoning Consulting Services. Yeah. So, um, once again, thank you very much for having us in, um, particularly under these circumstances. Um, uh, it's unusual to be meeting with a, a, a city council committee under these circumstances, but um, we certainly appreciate your making it happen. Um, I thought before I s might start, uh, our individual team members just might introduce themselves very quickly. Um, um, so I'm, I'm Matthew Littell, I'm a principal at UTL. Uh, we're located in Boston. Um, I work primarily on <clears throat> urban design and planning projects, specifically zoning and regulatory work, uh, both in Massachusetts and um, around the country. Um, I also have one foot in uh, the architecture department of our office, uh, working mostly on multifamily residential work. I'll pass it to Jessica. I don't know if Jessica's muted. Working on it. Okay. Great. Hi, thank you. Um, so my name is Jessica Robertson. I'm an associate principal at UTL, um, and I work in the planning and urban design side of the office. Um, I've worked on a number of comprehensive plans, including Boston, Cambridge, and most recently Beverly. Um, projects on, on a range of scales down to streetscape plans and um, in, in the Boston area and Providence and Pittsburgh and a number of other places, um, including um, a bunch of different zoning projects or projects that sort of touch zoning. Um, and I also have a background in transportation planning and policy. Maggie, do you want to go next? Um, hi, everyone. I'm Maggie Sang. Um, I'm an urban designer at UTL. I also work in the planning and urban design department. Um, I've worked on a number of projects from uh, comprehensive plans to zoning projects in and around the Boston area. Um, and I've also worked on um, a downtown mobili mobility plan in Pittsburgh, as well as a number of streetscape plans in the Boston area as well. <laughs> 
Um, I'll pass it off to Mark. Good evening. I'm Mark Bobrowski. Uh, my office is in Concord. I'm a partner in the law firm of Blattman, Bobrowski, and Haverty. I've been a land use lawyer for 35 years. I taught for 28 of those years as well at, as a full-time professor at New England School of Law. Um, I'm the author of the Handbook of Massachusetts Land Use and Planning Law. Uh, my part, part of my practice has always been at least a third recodifying the zoning in cities and towns. Just pick some examples that are probably much like Medford. Those would be Quincy, Lowell, uh, Haverhill, Salem, Revere, and Chelsea. All of those were clients in past years. And uh, I'll, I'll talk more about my approach to recodification uh, as part of the presentation. Thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss as to who to throw it to, so somebody chime in. That's John Ford, I'll chime in. Um, I think this will be the trickiest part of our time with you. John Ford, civil engineer and urban designer with the Horsley Witten Group. Um, so we're a mid-sized civil engineering environmental science firm with offices in Boston, Exeter, New Hampshire, uh, Sandwich, Massachusetts, and I'm speaking to you from Providence, Rhode Island, where we also have an office. Um, I think our, our work, especially pertaining to this project, really has to do with creating and sustaining great places in balance with nature, what I like to think about it as. Um, so how can functional civil engineering also help to support the vision for Medford and its various place types uh, that we hear from you? Great, I'll jump in now. Um, I'm Matt Smith. I'm a principal at Nelson Nygaard um, in the Boston office. Um, I actually lead our Northeast parking and transportation demand management practice. Um, I work on everything from parking studies for downtowns to residential parking to rezonings. Um, and in a previous life as a planner, I focused on economic development and zoning and worked on projects that ranged from Framingham, uh, Massachusetts to the recodification of New Orleans post-Katrina. Hmm. Thank you. Is that everyone? I think that's everyone, right? Going back to Maggie. Looks like she's muted. Hang on. I got her. Hi, um, I just wanted to make sure that we don't miss Emily, um, who's still up for uh, introduction. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Emily Torres Cullinane from the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, I'm the Assistant uh, Director to Strategic Initiatives, and I oversee the Community Engagement Division. I actually started the division um, eight years ago at MAPC been working in and out of Medford um, during that time. Um, and uh, I can say more in the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, so I'm gonna, um, Maggie, if you could go to the next slide, please. We may be flipping around, so I will try to announce who's speaking next, so maybe they can be unmuted, um, if that helps facilitate. Um, 
a quick agenda, introduction, um, some talk about our approach generally. Um, Emily will talk about engagement. Um, we'll talk about specific issues and priority areas as they relate to some of our past work, and then we'll have some time for questions. So we'll try and move through our slideshow uh, as quickly as we can, so we leave time for, for discussion. Uh, next slide. A very quick introduction. Util is a 60-person firm. Um, I'd say anywhere from a quarter to a third are involved in planning and urban design projects. The remainder of our practice is focused mostly on architecture. Um, without going on too long, I think perhaps one thing that distinguishes our firm is the fact that we work on both ends of the spectrum in terms of uh, development. So we have a kind of unique ability, I think, to see the world through the the eyes of both municipalities and developers, and it helps us to to understand um, the approach that might be required. Um, next slide, please. Um, our team consists of a kind of core of util. Uh, Mark uh, addressing uh, the sort of codification aspects. Um, Emily, as she mentioned, uh, focused mostly on the public engagement. Um, and then we have a, a team of, of specialists uh, advising on parking policy and transportation. That would be Matt Smith, uh, John Ford, uh, advising on stormwater management and sustainable design. Um, and not with us tonight, but uh, possibly uh, being used within this project is Pam uh, McKinney, who uh, is an economic development consultant who's advised many, many municipalities about um, inclusionary zoning policies and, and other kinds of related things. Um, next slide, please. Um, our team has done a lot of work on zoning, um, both in Massachusetts and beyond. Um, we also have collectively quite a bit of experience directly in Medford that I think will come to bear. Um, this is a sampling of some of the things that we've done. We will um, discuss a few of them in more detail as they relate to your project. Um, I want to point out that Mark's list has been heavily abbreviated. Um, so um, we're bringing a lot of experience, uh, knowledge of how this is done in other municipalities, and a kind of eagerness to learn a little bit more specifically about what Medford needs. Next slide. Um, a quick context um, uh, acknowledgement. Um, Medford is not new, unique. Um, it's experiencing housing pressures that are forcing it to reconsider really what its underlying <coughs> land use regulation structure is. So we believe, like many municipalities, this, the time is right. Um, also, like many municipalities, there's a kind of tension between um, new development, uh, particularly to soften the impact of rising uh, uh, rents and real estate prices, but also uh, a feeling of impact on more established um, older neighborhoods as well. So um, we feel that there's a very interesting and wide ranges of things that need to be addressed. And um, we certainly agree with the premise of this RFQ that this is um, probably a very good time. Um, next slide, please. Okay, I'm going to hand it off to Jessica Robertson to talk about our approach. That's what you think. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm... <laughs> everybody's everybody's so much. Is this you, Jessica? Oh, hi. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I realize I'm I'm borrowing my partner's. Oh. Says Galen Mook under my face, not Jessica okay. Robertson. <laughs> so, um, anyway, thank you. So, um, so you know, we have in in reading the RFP and sort of doing a little bit of extra homework about um, what's been going on in Medford recently um, with respect to zoning and and different development and planning issues. Um, you know, we understand that there's there's a desire to do a, a pretty significant look at at the zoning and the regulatory environment and we said pretty you know pretty frankly in the proposal that um that we think that forty thousand dollars isn't necessarily enough to do all of that um because it is it redoing a zoning code is something that takes a lot of effort and a lot of political will and you have to you really have to do it right and if you if you try to do it um, and fail often it takes a very long time to get the political will and the public um, you know the public stomach to to try and tackle it again um, so next slide please um, so what we think is a good strategy in this moment is to to really take a, a chunk of that process um, and focus on teeing up the larger zoning overhaul in a way that really lays the groundwork for success in the future. Um, and so the, the most important pieces for that is really working with the community and stakeholders, including all the elected officials, to come together on what is the shared vision and what are the priorities for what the zoning update needs to do. Next slide, please. Um, so some issues that are very common throughout the Boston area and, um, you know, and, and we think are probably some of the issues that play in Medford as well um, are there's, there's the issue of increased housing demand throughout the region and how to accommodate that, um, but also balance new growth with the desire to, to maintain the character of the community. Um, there's the question of how easy is the zoning code to use both for you know an average resident trying to do an addition on their home all the way up to a large developer doing multifamily housing um, you know is it is the code um, understandable to everyone both on the development side and on the community side um, are the parking regulations balancing correctly the need to preserve on-street parking in, in neighborhoods that where people are already using that versus not attracting too much new traffic by providing too much new off-street parking. Um, and then finally, as climate change becomes an ever-increasing issue, um, there are a lot of important things to consider in the zoning code in terms of how are new buildings approaching sustainability and are they um, moving us towards a greener future? Um, and then also how are how is the built environment withstanding the impacts of climate change. And so stormwater um, is going to be an increasingly important piece of that as well. Um, and with all of these, I think comes the, there are, none of these issues are sort of easily solvable. There's no quick right answer for any of them. For most of them, it's a question of balancing different trade-offs. And so that's why the community process is so important is that it, there isn't a one size fits all approach to dealing with issues like affordability and and managing change. Next slide. 
Um, so what we thought would be the best way to, to get this process moving in the right direction would be to start with an evaluation of the current zoning code to see what pieces of it need to be updated from sort of a purely regulatory and user friendliness standpoint. Um, and then to work with the community and work with stakeholders um, and work with obviously the city planning department to figure out what are those key issues. And, you know, some of them are the ones I've just mentioned, but maybe there are others. Figure out what are those key issues that the zoning, the new zoning code would need to address and what are those priorities? And so that's where the public process becomes really important is saying if it's impossible to have all of the things that everyone wants because sometimes they're actually in conflict with each other, how do we how do we find that balance and how do we make those trade-offs? Um, and so Emily is going to talk next about um, the, how we would do that community process. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jessica. And to really sort of um, come off of what Jessica just said, uh, we know that you all really value community engagement um, and transparency in, in processes, um, as well as having your constituents kind of understand what's um, what's coming about and, and really gathering their support before making really important decisions. Um, and so we would be really focusing on the public process. Um, I actually work at um, the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, as I said before, um, and you know, we are your regional planning agency. And although uh, the agency is mission driven um, and, and whatnot, I would actually just be bringing in the values of the engagement team um, there. And we've done various projects in Medford. So I have a wealth of knowledge um, about the city um, as well as some connections on the ground that we could use um, during this time. Um, also, uh, we could really just sort of build off of the visions uh, that have been developed in the past and check for, um, you know, are they still relevant? Um, you know, is there still, um, do they still resonate? Um, so next slide, please. Um, all right, so as you know, we are um, in a moment of uh, social distancing. Um, and so we are also adapting all of our engagement to, to really being digital or find creative ways uh, where we're gonna be able to connect with folks. So UTL um, and as well as myself, we have lots of actual experience using tools. Um, here we have a couple of them um, as well as, you know, Zoom calls. Um, uh, and we're, we would bring our experience um, to this project uh, around the strategy of how to have um, inclusive engagement using the tools and sort of our constraints um, at this moment. Um, and I am actually gonna send it to Mark. Uh, Mark is gonna, our zoning guru. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, over the past 35 years, it's been my honor to work with more than 100 cities and towns in the Commonwealth and right their zoning with obvious help from them and the legislative body that has to enact it. I've worked in towns as small as Alford. I can't see all of you, but does anybody know where Alford is? Anybody got an idea where Alford is? It's on the New York state line west of Great Barrington. It has 400 citizens. And the biggest city I've probably done is Lowell. So there's a wealth of experience that those towns have uh, taught me uh, about how to manage each ecosystem on its own. They're all very different. The politics of each city and town are wonderful to learn and, and, and glad to leave at the end of the day. 
uh, we hope to strike a compromise most times. Recodification means to me, uh, and a lawyer, as a lawyer, three things. One, I want to bring the ordinance into consistency with case law and statute. Changes all the time. Uh, the statute is changing rapidly as we speak with regard to procedures. But there's always some tinkering at the legislature in between the next great reform of the Zoning Act, which we're still waiting for. Um, secondly, I like to work with towns to fill glaring omissions. So the use table, for example, ought to have definitions for each and every term, unless they're utterly self-apparent. And you'd be surprised how many cities and towns fall short in that regard. And then third in a recodification, uh, I like to resolve with the committee internal inconsistencies. So if one part of the ordinance says go left and another part says go right, somebody's got to give and we need to figure out those things. I usually divide the work uh, into a number of different components. And I would expect that that would happen here. The, the first and most important way to kick off is to do a zoning diagnostic. I'm sure that the planners on the team will do the same thing with regard to planning and policy issues, but mine would be purely legal. Uh, it generally involves seven or eight pages, and I, I not only point out things that are uh, inconsistent with state law or constitutional law, but uh, try to bring some ideas to the table as to how those problems can be fixed. Typically, I work with a committee. Uh, in Quincy, when I did the zoning, uh, the entire city council sat with me at eight evening meetings. I, when I would park my car at five o'clock in the afternoon, people would stop me on the street because I'd been on cable television so often, so often that I was recognized. Um, in other places, it's uh, usually a, a staff level or Sometimes the building commissioner, certainly the chairman of the zoning board of appeals, the chairman of the planning board, those kinds of things are the usual format. Right now I'm doing uh, zoning recodifications in the town of Hudson, the city of Bridgewater, and the town of Manchester by the sea on the North Shore. So I've done about three a year over the years. I, I gave some examples of what a recodification a diagnostic might look like for your city by going through the zoning ordinance and just picking out a couple of things that caught my attention. The first slide shows the approach that you have for the alteration of single and two-family structures. It's exactly what the statute says, but the statute puts a lot of burdens on cities and towns to hold meetings that are unnecessary. Uh, in many cases, uh, if it's an obvious situation where the increase in the non-conforming nature of the structure is either small or non-existent, it's going to end in the issuance of a special permit. Why not predict the outcome and go to a building permit instead? Uh, this is all spawned out of cases that were decided in the early 1990s. In fact, the approach that I used, these carve-outs, was sanctioned by both sides of the Supreme Judicial Court, who divided with each other in the uh, in the Edgartown case that led to all of these changes. Uh, the second slide is another example, if you can get that next one up. Um, this has to do with major projects and site plan review. In looking at your ordinance, it, it looked like the planning board served in an advisory capacity when the city council or the ZBA was a special permit granting authority. That's fine. I was on my planning board here in Concord. That's the same role we played when the ZBA had to issue a special permit. But then something troubled me about major projects not requiring a special permit because under that, the it says the special permit shall be required nevertheless from the community development board. So you've got uses in the table that are not requiring a special permit. I would assume the table says why for yes. 
And now as a result of the site plan review, you're bringing them over to special permit. That's inconsistent with a couple of things, inconsistent with YD dugout that says site plan review is regulation of a use, not prohibition. It's also inconsistent with the skit doctrine, an earlier case from Braintree in which the court ruled that not all uses in a district can be placed on special permit. And then the last one is uh, just a nitpick with regard to a couple of entries in the use table. I realized quite well that I'm in the town, uh, city rather, that gave us the uh, the teaching case of Tufts College versus City of Medford. But schools, colleges, universities are generally not supposed to be on special permit. And the same thing is true for child care facilities, child care centers and school-aged child care facilities. I've quoted the statute there. You can put them on reasonable regulations concerning bulk and height of structures, but the courts have routinely frowned upon putting them on special permit. These are examples of the things I would likely bring to the committee's attention, and we would resolve these in, a, in any new draft of the zoning. So I'll turn it over um, Great. to the parking. Yeah. Hi, this is Matt um, from Nelson Nyard again. Um, just kind of building on what everyone has already said, um, what's really important is that to understand the context, but also the community, really understand the community when you're doing a zoning rewrite. And part of that is both um, digging in and understanding patterns, informing both the community, but also the team that will be writing the actual zoning, um, and then coming up with the, those unique strategies. Um, what we really do is focus on finding out what is going on with the parking environment before any actual um, code is written. It's trying to understand what are the different patterns. Um, and that helps us lead to a very community specific um, recommendation within the zoning so that it's not just a boilerplate of what's happening next door in, the, in neighboring communities, for instance. And so, for instance, I think that what we've recently done for the city of Somerville was really, was really a good example. There's a lot of concern in Somerville during their rezoning that there would be large impacts on residential parking in neighborhoods abutting multifamily development. And in order to make sure that there could be um, either low parking or no parking multifamily within the zoning code, we did analysis of parking permits. And the idea was to see where those big pressures were. So we took a lot of our analysis skills, um, and this is before any zoning was written um, in terms of the parking for this element, to see were there patterns that were emerging around new or also old multifamily, we're talking like 10 or more units, compared to those lower density units. And what we actually found is the opposite turned out to be true. The greatest residential parking permit problems in car ownership were actually in the lower density, um, which in Somerville is a two or three, um, whereas the larger um, buildings had far fewer permits per unit. It was actually about a fifth of the units, about one in five permits um, compared to the single and twos. So it really actually just proved that myth and allowed the city to actually then consider some low lower parking minimums within the final um, um, code. Next slide, please. But we actually look at um, parking from in many different contexts related to zoning. Um, forever recently, we did a similar project, um, particularly around when the opening of the Encore Resort, looking more at the patterns of residential permits um, and the need for parking in different areas of the city. And what we wound up doing is understanding what the actual car ownership trends were, what the differences were between ownership and different unit types, um, so that that could inform future zoning recommendations, but also some supportive policies. What's really key in a zoning is understanding what zoning can do and what zoning can't do and what are the supporting policies that are needed. So that applied to both what we were doing in Everett but also in Somerville. You can't do everything if you are, for instance, having a low parking minimum in a multifamily. You want to make sure that you have a supportive permit policy so that you're not seeing the impacts in the surrounding neighborhoods. 
Other places like Keene, New Hampshire recently, we did an entire inventory within their downtown. They were rezoning it um, and they wanted to make sure that the parking requirements reflected the actual downtown need in the future. So we actually did an entire inventory and then understood with new development that was planned or likely to occur based on the new zoning, would current parking be able to accommodate that or would there be spillover? And what we wound up finding is that there was plenty of parking, even with some considerable development. So it allowed specific recommendations to go forward. Um, so that's what we'll really um, bring to this project. It will be a much more, I would say, we're going to do the background research to make sure that those elements of your code will actually reflect um, the real patterns of use within the city. Next slide. So now we're on to John, on John, to John Ford. Hey, um, good evening again. I'm John Ford with Horsley Witten. So Horsley Witten is not a stranger to Medford. We've been working with the city since 2015 on a green infrastructure watershed where we identified over 50 sites um, within the city for green infrastructure um, retrofits and advanced 10 of those to a concept design, four of those to permitting, and the picture you see to the left includes some of our engineers from the Boston office uh, and, and many folks from the city, perhaps you know some of them there in that picture, getting one of those green infrastructure systems at Wright's Pond built, uh, a rain garden. So uh, if you can move to the next slide. We know that a zoning code is a very different type of projects, but we definitely understand the pressures within the city um, of urban runoff, nutrient loading, um, and what your public works and engineering folks are struggling with um, and wanting the city of Medford as improvements and growth happens to act more like a sponge uh, and reduce the impacts on the environment, provide all the other benefits that come along with the green infrastructure street trees, uh, coastal resiliency, and all of that good stuff. So we, we look at this type of project kind of in two ways. Uh, the per first kind of running along the lines of what both Mark and Matt were talking about is running a stormwater sustainability diagnostic. And that can touch on many elements within your existing code. And we also know that there's a lot of great work that's been done in the recent past, including the Medford Square Master Plan the open space and recreation plan update, which included a wonderful climate resilience um, piece that went along with it. Um, and the stormwater regulations, which we understand are still in progress to make sure that all of that work, the vision and the regulations are appropriately, appropriately tied to the zoning code. Um, that also will include looking at parking requirements to see you know, are there places where additional pavement perhaps isn't necessary from a parking perspective, but also is contributing to excess stormwater runoff. Um, but maybe there are places within the city that that makes sense to support uh, the place type, the scale and the character. Uh, and, and last but not least, I talked about regulatory consistency and there are also places where graphics um, may be able to add to the understanding of stormwater approach that's not one size fits all within different places in Medford. You can move on. So moving from that to the other piece we look at as we get into kind of translating the vision for, for what Medford wants to be um, is applying the stormwater toolkits. That's a green infrastructure toolkit. 
as well as what's not shown here is an adaptation toolkit to react really and prepare for climate change. So more frequent and severe storm events as well as coastal pressures. And taking the, the toolkit of the design um, practices that we often use and making sure that they're applied appropriately, uh, again, to context and scale of, of place, but also the lay of the land in terms of land cover, um, flood zones, topography, soils, and all of that. We can move on. So last but not least, we want to make sure, and I think that's one of the huge benefits of this team that includes uh, a diverse range of perspectives on the built environment to say, well, how can, how can stormwater work at the scale of the neighborhood, block, street, site, and test some of the data-driven responses to, to see how the urban vision for um, a block could work and also meet the stormwater requirements we're looking for to reduce impact on the Mystic River, for example, and potentially set up some shared solutions looking at some of the open space ideas that, that the city already has. And that's something we did in East Farmingdale for the form-based code there. Okay, I'm gonna run through just a, a, a few util projects to, sh uh, to show uh, that might demonstrate some good examples of things that might be applicable to, to Medford. We just finished uh, the Boston flood zoning, which is a, uh, an effort by the city to create a new zoning overlay to address climate change and to allow individual properties to uh, make those adaptations. Um, in addition to just the relevance about um, um, incorporating sustainability and adaptability into the zoning code, I think at a broader level, uh, some of the other tools that might be adaptable here is um, really figuring out where the code is self-sufficient in and of itself and where other regulatory mechanisms such as guide design guidelines, um, uh, development review uh, come into play and how you might begin to think about um, <clears throat> sorting those kinds of, of, of strategies uh, amongst different kinds of projects. So that for instance, the one or two family property owner has a maybe a simpler and clearer path than um, a much larger project uh, that has sort of greater impacts. Um, so I, I think it's not a one size fits all. I think that uh, we are looking at a kind of spectrum of approaches. Uh, next slide. Um, and then we worked very extensively on the, the Somerville zoning overhaul, which uh, you may be familiar with. It's a, a, a very strict form-based code. Uh, it was a complete redo. Uh, we did a lot of the investigations of the typologies and um, pretty much most of the sort of graphics of the project. Um, we are not sure to be direct that um, a pure form-based code is appropriate for Medford, but there are a few takeaways um, that we think might be applicable. One is um, the, the use of imagery and clear graphics to communicate intent. Um, specifically in some of the neighborhoods where you want to uh, focus more on preservation uh, as opposed to um, growth. Um, I think where it becomes challenging is in areas, particularly where your development pressures are greatest, um, in the Mystic Valley, uh, Mystic Avenue corridor, for instance, um, where lots aren't typical and your average project is, um, tends to be sort of unique um, and other kinds of approaches might be required. Anyway, re regardless, um, uh, 
we think that there may be some role for form-based tools uh, that might help the city simplify its code and make it uh, easier to communicate to the public. Uh, next slide, I'll pass it to Maggie. Hi. Um, so, whereas those previous two examples were effort, uh, examples of citywide zoning efforts, we've also worked in um, more concentrated focus areas. Um, so, in Hyannis, we're currently working with the town of Barnstable to revise zoning specifically in their downtown area. Um, our efforts there have, uh, I think, have a lot of relevance to some of the focus areas within Medford because they've um, targeted promoting mixed uses, walkability, improving the public realm, um, as well as reducing the physical and visual impact of surface parking. And importantly, especially for the town of Barnstable, but also probably for other other towns um, in, the Mass in Massachusetts and the city of Medford, meeting goals for increasing housing density and diversity. Um, in particular, in Hyannis, what we did was, was, was to simplify the zoning districts and revise the dimensional standards to uh, um, accommodate uh, small to medium scale multifamily housing types and that was done with, through a series of development test fits knowing sort of the market um, knowing market tested building types um, and one of the benefits of doing this type of targeted zoning approach was to encourage more buy right development in the downtown area and to reduce the need within the town for special permits and also for contract and negotiated zoning um, similarly um, our work in Littleton is also focused in the sort of town center or Littleton common area. Here is also using a sort of form-based toolkit uh, that was intended to balance uh, the desire for mixed use for mixed use walk walkable downtown, as well as increasing predictability in the development outcomes. So in Littleton, it was really important to balance the historic character of the town with the desire for more development and uh, more density. Um, but here, a clearly delineated kit of parts for building massing, as well as building components, allowed for both a wide range of design freedom and variety that also fit within the existing context and accommodated um, appropriate floor plates for contemporary mixed uses. And so I'll just pass the last project off to Jessica. Sure. Um, so another project we started recently is with the city of Newton. And um, prior to bringing us on board, they've been doing a lot of work for the past couple years of um, the type of work that we're talking about, about doing with you, where they've been having a lot of public conversations about what are the issues that a new zoning code should try to address. And one of those issues that has come up um, is a phenomenon where um, older houses are being torn down and replaced with much larger single-family homes um, in certain neighborhoods where they're totally out of scale with the existing context. And what ends up happening is that that can um, lead to speculation and drive up land costs and actually um, make what are otherwise more naturally affordable neighborhoods, less affordable for that reason. And so one of the issues that the new zoning code is trying to address is to have dimensional regulations that can help ensure that new buildings that are, that are constructed in, in existing residential neighborhoods are more contextual with what's around them. Um, 
And so what we've been doing with them is actually working through test fits of different, um, different versions of the potential new zoning to sort of test out how, how often they, the new regulations might lead to teardowns. Um, and so this has been a really iterative process with the city. Um, but we'll be, this is just one piece of it and, and we'll be going through and helping them write um, their entire new zoning update. Um, so just to circle back to um, our, our work plan for this project, um, we think that there are, you know, there's this really important piece that, that needs a lot of attention first, which is clarifying what those issues are that the new zoning should address, and then working with stakeholders in the community to figure out how to balance those different trade-offs, um, and that that would be a good phase one, where you sort of at the end of it, you have a diagnostic of the, the issues both with the code and the, the policy issues that a new zoning code would, would want to address, and then a work plan of how to, how to address all of those things, and hopefully the, some community and stakeholder buy-in um, that would really tee up a phase two um, and future phases where you actually would write the new code. Um, so in our experience, uh, Maggie, you can go to the next slide. Um, you know, there, there are potentially, you know, there are towns or, or districts within cities where you could write an entirely new code um, for, you know, the same amount of effort that you're proposing, but that's only really the case if, if it's already clear exactly what needs to be done and it's just a matter of sort of producing that new document. Um, but, but we think it's really important um, to, to work collaboratively with everyone in Medford to, to determine what those key issues are and what the, what's the right strategy to solve them first. And it, it seems from, from our understanding that um, those, those conclusions are not, um, have not been discovered yet, that there isn't a clear path about what the problems are and how to solve them. So that's the piece that we think is most important to focus on. And I just um, want to conclude um, by very quickly saying again, thank you. We're very enthusiastic about the possibility of um, working with the city of Medford and specifically um, figuring out what uh, what's the best thing for the city of Medford in that first phase. And um, I'll just finish by saying that uh, we are very happy to work very closely with you, your planning department, um, to find a, a scope that um, achieves the things that you need to achieve um, in this first phase. And um, thank you for letting us run a little bit long, but um, we're very happy to um, answer any questions or, or, or entertain any discussion at this point. Thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, it was very informative. Uh, uh, and I know the council has uh, probably a number of questions. Uh, Clark Hurtabies, can we go back to the main screen again or to the, so you can see everyone? Yeah, perfect. Okay, great. So Councilor Morell. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, thank you for that presentation. Um, I appreciate that you all have your separate areas of focus and expertise. Could you walk me through a little bit about what that actually looks like in practice, how you all work together and how um, so many individuals in these areas of focus would work with the council specifically? 
Um, Go ahead, Jessica. <laughs> sure. Um, so I think the, that's a great question. Um, first of all, thank you. And we, um, I think the the core team, as Matthew mentioned earlier, um, would really be um, Emily and Mark and Util. So Mark would would sort of dive in right away with his technical diagnostic of the code, and Emily and and the Util team would work really closely with the city to to first of all, download what are all of the conversations that have happened to date around zoning and planning and development and sort of where are we starting? And then who are the key constituencies that we need to reach out to and what's the best way to reach out to them? Um, and so that would be a really collaborative process between us and Emily. Um, and then we would, you know, come to that first round of community engagement, probably with, um, a set of hunches. So, you know, things that we've heard from, from the city and, and from the council about what some of those issues probably are. And then we would be asking people, are these the right issues? Did we forget anything? You know, is there, which things are more important or less important? Um, and that would allow us to really um, refine and focus in on, on the things that are, that are going to be the most important to figure out and the things that are potentially the most controversial and the most tricky. Um, and then bringing John and Matt in would, would really be, and Pam as well, um, would really be sort of as those particular issues arise. So for example, if, um, if no one is worried about parking, if that's not an issue at all, which we all probably expect is not going to be the case, but, um, you know, we might not need to tap Matt, but, but in the more likely event that, that parking is one of those issues that does rise to the top. Um, then I think, you know, then, then Matt would come in as sort of that expert to help us figure out what are the, what are the issues with the current code? What are the issues that aren't driven by the code, but are just happening organically that a new code could try and address? Um, and then, and that would, that would sort of feed into the conversations that are already ongoing with the, those other sort of parallel tracks of community engagement and the, and the technical analysis. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Morrell. Any other questions from the council? Councilor Beers. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Um, I guess just one question for me. You know, this is phase one, so I'm interested to hear Basically, I think uh, at least a concern that I have is that we get through this phase and then we don't complete the entire process. So um, I guess my question, and it's not really directed at any one of you, um, so whoever feels best to answer it, is um, how would we go through this phase of the project to make sure that we actually do the next one too? Or how would you, how would you approach that? I'm happy to jump right in. Um, I think one way to look at this is to actually look at the process in reverse, uh, which is to say um, a final phase involves um, uh, uh, us working with Mark to um, detail and draft and, and send through your uh, review and approvals process um, a detailed, you know, fully rewritten or, or vetted uh, a zoning code. Prior to that, uh, in order to understand what those priorities are, what needs to be changed, um, we need to establish uh, where, you know, there's a lot of decision making that has to happen. And in the best 
case scenario, all that decision-making happens in phase one. Um, I suspect that there are always future layers of decisions that have to be made. Um, and so in a phase two, I suspect that there is some more decision-making plus the actual writing of the code. And I don't know if anyone else in the team wants to elaborate. Yeah, I think um, just to, to add one thing, I think the, um, the goal of, of phase one would really be to produce at the end of it a very clear agenda for what happens in phase two. So that, you know, if perhaps there's, there's a gap um, between the phases in terms of when funding is available, or if, um, you know, we hope this would never happen, but if there was a different firm that came in to, to pick up phase two, you know, that it would be very clear, you wouldn't have to start back over from the beginning, um, that those issues would be outlined and the, the preferred strategies for resolving them would be very clearly outlined and other key decisions such as where is, where is more of a form-based approach appropriate, um, that those things would be, um, you know, they would all be laid out and that the phase two is really just about executing all of those things. I'll add one thing. I think a big part of uh, phase one like this is actually really teeing up the appetite from the community to understand why that phase two is absolutely needed. Um, really understanding those elements where there's lack of predictability or understanding of a code and the confusion that can cause by the end of phase one by identifying all of those issues and really laying it out for people that that next phase that that should be funded would actually solve a lot of those problems not just for those big developers but in particular for some the those community members who have to really try to currently really go through the weeds to understand what is actually done so the clarification to make it easier for everyone is something to actually really focus on Castle Bears. Um, thank you, Mr. President. Yeah, just kind of two follow-up questions. So, um, and obviously, I'm asking you to speculate. So, either if you feel like you can't, you don't don't feel like you have to. Um, but let's say you know the funding's in line, the bidding process goes smoothly. You were on for phase two. Could you even provide an estimate of of what kind of time frame you'd think would would take for for that under this you know considering you know where when we're starting phase one and how long that would take yeah so i'll jump in quickly and then and then i'll toss it to mark for some you know some comps of all of the many other projects that he's worked on um so we've proposed a a pretty fast timeline for this phase one of about i think we said three or four months and um and i think it's you know it's very, these zoning and, and sort of master planning type conversations can, can really get exhaustive if you let them drag on too long. Um, we really think it's more effective to try and keep the momentum up um, so people can be engaged and feel like they're, they can see the outcomes of their previous engagement, right? Where it's not too long of a gap in between the times when you talk to people. Um, so, in, so the first phase would be about four months, and then, and then, depending on sort of how deep of an overhaul, if it's you know if we're switching from your current zone, zoning and starting from scratch, and it's going to be purely form based, um, you know that's a lot of um, writing and, and graphic production. So that would be a, a slightly longer process, um, perhaps up to a year after that. Um, but if it's if it's more targeted interventions, um, that could be shorter. 
So that would, that would range depending on sort of what are the actual content outcomes of the phase one. Um, but in both phases, we generally um, think it's better to try and keep the momentum up and keep things going a little bit more quickly. Um, Mark, do you want to comment as well? Sure. Uh, my three contracts right now and, and the past probably 10 contracts I've had have all been with medium-sized towns. Lexington's probably the biggest. Uh, but we're talking about places again like Bridgewater, Manchester by the Sea, Stoughton, Holbrook. Those are you know medium-sized towns. All of those contracts for a zoning recodification in which I performed all the work and very little planning policy was incorporated into the final outcome was forty thousand dollars in each and every case. I've worked with Haverhill uh, for the past ten or twelve years putting recodification together for them. Util joined at the end of that process. And because it dragged on for so long, the budget was much larger. In a city the size of Medford, just the simple reformatting of the bylaw, reorganizing it, cleaning it up, uh, and literally, I, when I do it, I, I take every sentence apart, reformat it, and put it in its proper place, delete it, or add something better. So that's a process that in a city of your size, would, if I were just bidding on that work, it would probably start at $50,000. So after, uh, I think there's always been a debate in planning circles as to whether you ought to clean it up first and then add the new stuff or get the new stuff ready and clean it up afterwards. I've done it both ways. In Westford, they did a master plan. Uh, after the master plan, they had an implementation committee. I worked with the implementation committee over five years to add the new stuff. It finally got so top heavy with new stuff, we recodified at that point, And it was a, a, an interesting way to do it. Haverhill is sort of the opposite. We cleaned it up first. Now utils come along. They have some good ideas. We're going to incorporate that into the chassis. You have that kind of flexibility when you go into phase two and when you define phase one. How do you want, what do you want out of phase one? Do you want um, hard decisions made uh, about certain policy issues or do you want to just get the questions framed and then move to phase two? But your budget is very small to come up with a lot of hard paper at the end of phase one in terms of usable paper that's a regulation ready to go hit the street. I think one last comment on the schedule um, is that another big determinant of how long that phase two would take would be um, sort of the rhythm of council meetings and if there are other committees like planning board that we need to be going to see, um, you know, how many times do those different committees need to see each piece um, and so that's what's driving the schedule for our current project in Newton, um, where we're, you know, we're trying to get it done within the term of the current council, um, but we're going to be using every single meeting, you know, up until the end of that term because they're taking a very, very um, in-depth approach, you know, and, and going through the actual code line by line, you know, at council meetings. So, so that sort of the level of involvement of those different committees um, it also has a big impact on the overall schedule. Um, just one more, I think maybe easy than hard follow-up. Um, just in terms of, you know, I think you mentioned the scenario where maybe there's a gap in funding. Obviously we're having budget questions at all levels of government right now. Um, how long do you think this phase one document is useful? Um, you know, say it's six months or a year or, you know, until we can get the funding, you know, whatever the situation might be, what, what do you have a thought on that? I think that is, is really based on, um, I think the, the political leadership is sort of the starkest question 
that relates to that, right? Like if you have, if, if it is a new mayoral administration, it's usually very difficult to carry those kinds of planning um, and policy decisions forward across different administrations. Um, but it's, you know, from a community standpoint, I think it has a lot to do with how people felt about the process in the first place. And if it was a good process, then usually people are, you know, rather than wanting to revisit the decisions that were made, when you come back to it, they're more just anxious to actually see it implemented. So, so I think if we do the process right, then, then it can be a little bit more evergreen, um, especially if, um, you know, if, if the political leadership at all levels is involved and it's not seen as just sort of, you know, the pet project of a particular mayor or a particular, you know, council president or whoever. Got it. And then just one, and this one, again, might be difficult to answer. Um, but I'm guessing maybe this is the first bid that you're working on since COVID, where we would be starting after COVID started. I'm not sure. Um, how do you think, if not, I think the question works either way, either how do you think that the disruption and in-person contact might affect the project? How are you dealing with that in projects that you're working on? And like, do you think that might affect the momentum of community engagement in a serious way um, that might affect the timeline of the project? I, I'll, I'll answer the sort of first half of that, and then I'm going to pass it to Emily to talk a little bit about engagement. But I just, just say on, the, on the, the project team side and the way that we've been communicating with clients, um, I, I'll say we haven't really slowed down. Um, we've been conducting work of all kinds, architecture work, uh, planning work. We've been holding Zoom meetings, Google Meets. Um, we have a project in Detroit that's going full steam ahead. And so in terms of our own ability to communicate with the client and to do the work that we need to do, um, we're uh, kind of as ready as, as we ever have been. Um, it's a little strange to say that, but um, it's, it's how it's happening. Um, the engagement side will definitely be different, um, depending on how things roll out over the next few months. Um, uh, Emily can speak to a little bit more to that. Uh, yes, thank you. I think I'll say two things on this. Number one is, yes, we've continued to do engagement, obviously right now with a lot of sensitivity um, to what's going on in whatever community we're working with. Um, but we have moved forward uh, with engaging the public. The second thing I'll say is there's actually an opportunity. I think there's been a thirst for a lot of municipalities to lean into digital engagement um, because of accessibility issues. Um, I think actually the in-person meetings, although I truly miss them, um, uh, and I think there's an opportunity for actually more people to get involved um, with, if you do sort of use different methods of engagement. And like um, Jessica was saying, if you can really concretely communicate to the community, this is the process, this is the plan, this is how you can engage, um, you know, th just things like recorded presentations that can be seen again and again and again um, and, and put on public cable access, Facebook, etc., really actually has a, a bigger reach um, than what we were working with before. So there is an opportunity and then there's accessibility and an equity issue. So those things we would we'd figure out from the get-go, you know, we would we would come up with a strategy that works for Medford, 
that works for all of you. We would think about an advisory committee. You know, we would think about folks that already have relationships in the community, that in the neighborhoods that can go further. Um, and, you know, just really sort of jump off any engagement or communication channels that, you're all, that you already have, that you've already sort of from now until the start of the project have had to either build. Um, and so we would really get creative, but I do see that there is um, an opportunity actually to have a wider reach um, using various methods for, for engagement more than um, your traditional in-person. Yeah, I would chime in with two specific um, things to, to emphasize what Emily said. I think for the for the meetings, um, one thing that we've been seeing is that actually some of the online Zoom meetings um, have actually been seeing better participation because people are able to attend without figuring out childcare and they can attend while they're like cooking dinner in the background, right? And so there are certain ways, you know, for people with internet access, of course, that it can be actually a little bit more accessible. Um, and then the other thing is that I think we, you know, right now we're very much in the thick of it, but as things get um, loosened up slightly, I think some of our most effective methods um, for engagement can actually be the more um, grassroots efforts that can, that don't have to happen at a meeting at a specific time, but are outdoors, you know, where you're talking to people in the, in the park or, you know, somewhere else. And people are, definitely congregating in those, or not congregating, but um, they're out there in those kinds of places um, these days. And so I think, you know, we can make very tactical adjustments to how we do those types of activities in terms of maintaining distance and, you know, not sharing materials and things like that. Um, but I think some of those old school methods are still going to be playing an important role. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Vice President Caviello, did you have a question? I do. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, again, I, I thank everyone uh, uh, for the uh, uh, the presentation. Um, I see that you mentioned that you were involved. Uh, members of your team were involved with the uh, the Method Square Master Plan and and the Mystic Avenue ma Master Plan. Um, will you be relying on those documents uh, going forward uh, in in, uh, in 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 this process? Sure, I, I think I can respond to that. So we did collect a lot of public um, sort of opinion and, and input during those processes. We would, of course, present those back to you um, to find out, again, what resonates still and what can we build off of. Um, if those processes, um, you know, there's time that has passed. Um, if there's things that, you know, aren't relevant anymore. I know the theater opened up in, in the downtown and, you know, that causes for change. Um, we can adapt. And um, another question, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I, um, I, I missed something along the, end of the presentation. If I'm understanding you correctly, um, I, I think you're saying that we should recodify our, our zoning laws first before we move on uh, to something else. Is, did I understand that correctly? Well, I, I think I pointed out that there's a, an ongoing discussion between planners and lawyers and other people involved in the process as to which should come first. I don't think there's a right answer. I think both are right answers. I've done both. Uh, in Westford, we uh, did the pieces that were recommended in the master plan bit by bit. When the bylaw became top heavy, we recodified. In Haverhill, we recodified first, and now the new pieces are coming in, and they have a, 
a home because the bylaw is organized and ready to accept them and it, it works well both ways. So it's a policy choice that the council should be making. So would it be your suggestion that we, we codify the rules first and, and then look on to, uh, to do something in, in your expert opinion? I think you need to get through the first stage first. If you, if you do the diagnostic work, both from a legal and a planning perspective, you'll, you'll know where your problems are, which are more serious, and I think we can address that question at that time. Now, do you feel that you'd be able to uh, implement that in, in this contract? phase one implement the diagnostic work or what, what you had just said uh yes i think that i think both both sides of the equation legal and planning could do and 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 science could do, do all of the diagnostics so that you have a very good picture for where you are and what should come next and so the, so you, you feel you you could complete that in phase one correct I'm, I'm just speaking for myself. I think the budget is enough so that some of this, most of that work can be done in phase one. But you'd have, to check, you'd have to check with the planning side and with the technical and environmental side as well. Thank From a legal perspective, yes, I can do the diagnostic in phase one. Yeah, and, and I think that Mark does speak for the whole team there that the what we've put in the proposal is, is to get through that diagnostic phase on all, all of the different fronts. Okay, and then, like I said, and then going forward um, on, on phase two would be more of the actual planning. Phase two would be phase two would be um, the detailed execution of of those the the issues and the potential strategies for solving them that we identify in the diagnostic phase. So, for example, um, if we if we identify parking as one of the major issues. Um, in the diagnostic phase, then in the the um, phase two, Matt's team would come in and do that more detailed analysis about which neighborhoods um, need to have their parking ratios adjusted to exactly what ratio, and then you know, and then those would get written into the new code. Yeah. I, uh, that's it for me at the at the moment, Mr. President. I'll come back later. Thank you, Vice President Cariello, Councilor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. And I just want to apologize. I had to sign out for a few and I missed a portion of the presentation. Um, my, my question is that, uh, as many of you are probably familiar because you've done work in the community, is that the city of Method has been working on uh, revitalizing our downtown business district and looking at zoning for uh, many, many years now. And as uh, this uh, has taken place, uh, our city is being developed without uh, any thoughtful approach in my opinion. And uh, as we hear phase one, phase two, uh, knowing that that's gonna take some time, we have three uh, 40B projects in the can right now. Uh, we have uh, a master plan about uh, revitalizing Method Square and there are other building potentials that are happening. Um, any thought um, that maybe you can provide to us or insight about potentially uh, us as a community putting a moratorium on building while we go through this process, um, because in my opinion, it is going to be a lengthy process, and uh, I think we're going to lose a lot of uh, opportunity uh, while we do this uh, to look at the gateway, which is Mystic Ave, uh, highly undeveloped area that, uh, in my opinion, is going to go mostly to housing 
which uh, we're going to lose a, a lot of our commercial base, um, which the taxpayers aren't going to be too pleased with because they pay double the rate. Um, but I, I was just wondering if there's any thoughts about what we could do as a community, uh, because as you know, things aren't stopping now. The city's still moving forward, and the framework that we currently have is inadequate to address the concerns that I think this council has along with the new administration. Matthew, do you want to take that one? I'll jump into a very uh, a question that is, uh, let's just say it's above my pay grade um, to determine whether you want to put a big halt to development uh, in, in the city. Um, it's certainly not unprecedented, but you're right to acknowledge that um, rezoning takes quite a bit of time. It's, uh, you know, it's like complicated dental work uh, on a very important part of your, your, your bylaws. Um, the, you know, the, I, I know from Boston, there are other ways that um, this has been approached, like the creation of an interim planning overlay district that might put certain kinds of development on pause or at least subject it to um, other kinds of scrutiny or development review. Um, there are other kinds of ways to not necessarily put everything on hold, but to subject it maybe to different kinds of review processes that might give the city greater control. Um, so, I, I can't go into more detail because I, I haven't done all the homework about how that would fit into your existing zoning or procedurally how that happens, but that might be one way to do it. Right. So, so as a phase one discussion, can that be part of the discussion? If we were to bring your firm on board? Yeah, if the city came to us and said, you know, we've got all this stuff going on, what can we do short term and what can we do long term? That that would be part of the discussion if the city wants to prioritize that. Yeah, and that's an issue that we've dealt with in other projects before. Um, for example, the, in the Cambridge citywide plan, um, we did a detailed district plan for Alewife, which was a similar district where it's currently more commercial and industrial, but there was a lot of pressure for multifamily residential development. And in that case, it was, you know, it was very important to sort of have that public conversation about what the future of that district should be and, and broadcast it publicly. Um, and that those, those conversations can influence the day-to-day -day development review conversations that are going on. And so there's, you know, there's sort of a middle ground between letting everything come through willy-nilly and putting a moratorium where you can sort of have an evolving understanding of what the expectations are for a particular area um, that's being informed by those ongoing community conversations. So when, when you look at the city of Method, are we looking at uh, the five business districts? Are we looking at the Green Line extension? Are we looking at Wellington's, Wellington Circle as a separate? Because when we say five business districts, Wellington Circle uh, is not even considered one of the business districts when we mention business districts. Um, so are we looking at it as uh, a, a, a one city or are we looking at it uh, from your standpoint as individual West Method, the Haines Square, the hillside up by Tufts, the Green Line Extension, Method Square, um, South Method, are we looking at it as different segments of the community, the approach? I, I think the approach is to, um, the zoning code is for one city, 
but the approach would be specifically to discern what kinds of changes are required that are specific to particular parts of the city. So a very uh, a more ambitious recodification might even redraw um, zoning boundaries between those neighborhoods based on our whatever we discern in terms of what's appropriate development. But I think you're very right to observe, and us, you know, as as outside observers, so to speak, that um, you know the 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 um, there are parts of the city that are extremely different than other parts of the city, and I don't believe there's a one size fits all approach. I would just add to that. I mean, I think that speaks to the importance of doing that diagnostic and all those elements. Um, through that engagement, some very strong um, priorities might come up or areas of concern so that there could be, you know, I think Matthew mentioned you could um, create an overlay district that could be a temporary solution that would really um, address some of those concerns that then could be, then be integrated into the larger codification that might take longer. Um, I think, you know, communities are always doing some smaller rezonings and that could be um, part of the strategy if that really does perk up to the surface. And, and just a, a last question. Um, and I'm not sure if this was mentioned by uh, any other of my colleagues, but uh, we, we as a, I think a council would like to work on this United um, because we do have a subcommittee on uh, zoning, but I think, uh, and I won't speak for everyone, but I, I think we wanted to work as a committee um, to, to work on this. And uh, what other parties do you need at the table? I, I know the Community Development Board, we have an acting director that's with us tonight. Um, what other parties do you foresee uh, being part of this process from uh, a city standpoint? Um, go ahead, Emily. Mark. I can I can tell you the city officials that I've worked with in Haverhill all these many many years in trying to put the recodification together. They include the planning and economic development director, the building commissioner, the city engineer, uh, the water and sewer commission, because that's a driving issue uh, in Haverhill. Um, and then there has been along the way probably well there there are nine councilors if I remember correctly, and I'll bet six of them have been involved. Uh, through the preliminary stages, and now all of them are involved in the recodification uh, as a committee of the whole. So it it takes a village. Yeah, I would add on to that. You know, it kind of depends again on um, the direction that you want to head. If you want to prioritize some geographies, but there might be um, some community organizations that that make sense to add that have a lot of networks that they can tap into. Because you can also see um, adding folks to your you know advisory committee. Um, per se, that can really sort of widen your reach, um, especially if engagement is, is something that you really you want to try to try to do as much as possible. Um, and you know, in the past, we've worked with folks that um, you know every community is different, and then there's the folks that know everybody <laughs> um, and are like a, a wealth of knowledge you would never know. Um, for example, we worked with your mass and motion coordinator. Um, she uh, she had a lot of wonderful contacts and, and, and whatnot. So sometimes there's the folks that um, Mark just mentioned, and then there's some room for at your discretion, um, who you feel would also be um, helpful to the team um, in the sense of getting that community voice as well. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Councilor Marks. Uh, any other questions from the council? Councilor Knight, did you have your hand up or? 
And I'd like to make a motion if there are no further questions, Mr. President. Any other questions? Okay, uh, no further questions from the council. Um, I'd like to thank uh, everyone from UTL for uh, coming, uh, attending the meeting tonight. Uh, thank you for your presentation. It was very informative, uh, very impressive. Um, and uh, you will be uh, hearing us soon, hearing from us soon one way or, uh, or another. But we thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us and giving us the opportunity to um, talk to you. Thank you. Council Knight. Um, Mr. President, before uh, our friends from UTL sign off, um, I'm hoping that uh, they'd be able to provide us with an electronic copy of their presentation. Absolutely. And um, secondary, I'd like to make a motion, Mr. President, that um, copies of the presentations that were made this evening be provided to the council electronically and um, that we be given a one-week period of time to review them and that we reconvene um, in one week's time to select a zoning consultant. On the motion of Council Knight, seconded by. Second, Mr. President. So, second by Councilor Beers. Clerk Curtis, please call the roll. Sorry about that. Uh, this is the roll call on Council Marks on Council Knight's motion. Uh, Council Bears. Yes. Vice President Caraviello. Yes. Council Knight. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Council Morell. Yes. Council Scarpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes. Seven affirmative, zero in the negative. The motion passes. Uh, Councilors, any other discussion or uh, motion to adjourn? On the motion of Council Knight to adjourn the meeting, seconded by. Second. Councilor Scarpelli, Clerk Redebees, please call the roll. To adjourn. Correct. Correct. Councilor Bears. Yes. Vice President Carabiello. Yes. Councilor Knight. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Councilor Morell. Yes. Carpelli. Yes. President Falco. Yes, seven the affirmative, zero in the negative. The meeting is adjourned. Thank everyone for uh, coming tonight. Right, Appreciate your time. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.